0: The Jewish Divorce Project, because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. I want to be self-conscious when I ask about sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> so, sugar, let's just prepare. I think that's
1: a good idea very good idea
0: uh, yeah you know at this point maybe it's better if they overheard this conversation like they've overheard so much let them hear like what you, the safe what are, sex
1: <laughs> but are your parents still in the house
0: my parents there's a guest house in the back so they. Oh, i know that say,
1: but yeah. like you don't want them to hear this conversation either
0: well i actually my mom came in and she asked me something i'm like oh i'm recording today and she said oh i thought you do every other so and then she just asked me what it was about and i said we're having an expert on sexually transmitted diseases. It's just like, why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so okay, great. Ina, I think it's Ina.
2: It's Ina. Ina. Mm-hmm.
0: It rhymes with yeah. vagina, which
2: is there how I ended <laughs> up here.
0: Well, yes. then
1: we should. That should be the opening of the conversation <laughs> right there. Ina yeah. rhymes with vagina. Here we go.
2: That's how I ended up in this work. I think honestly.
0: Well, I actually read your bio. I thought it was because you dressed up as a condom. So that also the two, yes. Sam it seems like you really had no choice in where your life was headed. It's all once you yes, stepped into the related. condom it's Kismet. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. right. The shared, exactly. as we say. Yes.
2: I'm sorry, I'm gonna cool. um I'm going to put my phone on Do Not Disturb, so we are not disturbed.
1: All right. Well, welcome, Ina. Um, Thank you. You've met Sheva. My name is Noam. I'm glad that we're all on the same page when it comes to pronunciation of names. Yes, exactly. Crucial for this conversation.
2: We've all had our names butchered over the years by people's. Have you, Noam?
1: All the time. Noam seems
0: like it seems like a. But maybe I'm just used
1: to it. Uh, No, it's it it, throughout high school. I mean, like most likely, people will read it and they'll think there's a misprint, so they'll say Noah. Right, yeah. And there are times uh, where I get Naomi because that's right. just where their minds naturally go. So Noam is like complete; like it's another world to them. It doesn't, yeah, yeah.
0: Awesome.
2: I've, got, so, I've, I've been called Ian as well because people just assume there must be a misprint. Right.
0: Yeah, because you look more like an Ian. Than yes, an Ina, than an Ina. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the obvious. The right. So, like I told Noam, I told Ina that it's super casual. We kind of just flow and see where it goes. But I'm so excited to have you on today. Um, I think it is such an important conversation to have in any demographic, but mm-hmm. specifically in the demographic that we serve. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, divorce
1: or Jewish broadcast
0: people? to Jew- divorce Jewish people. <laughs> yeah, divorce both. Um, so let's jump right in. Yeah. Okay. Great. We say okay. Welcome back to another episode on the Jewish Divorce Project. We have an amazing guest with us today, Ina Park. Welcome, Ina. Thank you. Exciting to be here. Really happy to have you on. I'm going to read Ina's bio. Ina is a professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine and the Department of Obstetrics obstetrics that's a hard word right obstetrics and, uh-huh. <laughs> obstetrics and gynecology at the ucsf school of medicine she currently serves as the medical director of the california prevention training center and medical consultant for the centers for disease control and prevention the cdc you may have heard of it it's been pretty popular recently uh Ina's passion lies in empowering and informing others around the topics of sexual health and sexually transmitted infections She's the author of Strange Bedfellows, Adventures in the Science, History, and Surprising Secrets of STDs. Her writing has also appeared in the New York Times and Scientific American. So certainly sounds like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I've been thinking about sexually transmitted
2: infections for a very long time.
1: Probably one of the more highly educated guests we've also had. All of our guests have been educated, but I think you like, are probably the highest of all of them. <laughs>
2: Well, I I certainly have spent a lot of my career, sort of an academic life, thinking about these infections and uh, the stigma around them as well. So, you know, something we certainly should dive into for your That's a buzzword.
0: Let's talk about stigma because if there's ever a population or demographic where stigma (laughs) and sexual discussions go hand in hand, it is, um, in my experience, in the religious world, where it is such a taboo, private topic. Yeah. And this idea of sexually transmitted, and for the record, let's just start off, what is the difference between sexually transmitted infections and sexually transmitted diseases? Why why did it switch? Feel like it used to be STDs, now it's STIs, what happened? Yeah, well, actually,
2: in the 70s, uh, it used to be called VD or venereal disease, yeah. right? And, yeah. you know, the word venereal comes from the word venery, which implies that some sort of immoral behavior would be involved, right, in mm. the infection. And, you know, we certainly know that even people within the confines of, um, you know, a monogamous marriage, if someone came to, uh, to the relationship with an uh, infection, you know, can can enter a relationship even when it's monogamous. So then it, it sort of transitioned over into sexually transmitted disease. And then we realized in the 90s that a lot of these infections actually are just infections that don't cause any disease. They sort of come and go, they're silent. And so, Uh, folks started using the term STI and um, some people felt that it was less stigmatizing as well to call things an infection versus a disease. And, you know, I have to say, you don't want either of them, honestly, you know what I mean? You don't want an STD or an STI, but I'm all for using whatever terminology reduces stigma. And so I feel like our field in general is moving towards the term STI and a lot of folks have made that switch. So I try to use STI as much as I can, but I think the term STD is recognizable to folks of a certain generation, you know, including
0: mine.
1: Certainly mine as well. That's yep. what it was called, STD, yeah.
0: Yep, yeah. I had never thought of it that way. You bring up such a great um, conflict almost in terms of shifting towards the political correctness of not trying to stigmatize people who have right. an infection or disease. And at the same time, trying to also inform people that these are serious. (laughs) Well, we want to accept people who have them. We also really need to do everything that we can to avoid them. And I feel like that is a hard place to hit that exact balance in between.
2: Yes, there's there's definitely a sweet spot there. And um, I'm trying to normalize the experience of having an STI because things like HPV or the human papillomavirus, you know, are so ubiquitous that pretty much, you know, almost every sexually active person is going to get exposed at some point if you have more than one partner. And then at the same time, I don't want people to blow it off. I want people to understand like, hey, especially if you're out there again, you know, as, as this, you know, project deals with folks who are sort of leaving their relationship and moving on to a new relationship. This is something you need to think about. This is something you need to take care of with your sexual health. You actually do need to go out and get tested.
1: You, uh, you know, on your website and your profile, you have, you're wearing a shirt that says, ask me about my STI. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing that with the community here since uh, (laughs) you wore it on a shirt?
2: Yes. So, um, you know, I was just, I have a whole collection of STD and STI merchandise. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) t-shirts. I have another one that says shameless on it. I have, you know, shirts for pride. And so I'm just trying to put myself out there as saying, Hey, we all get STIs or STDs. It's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, come and talk to me about it. And I'm trying to be that person that approachable, you know what I mean? Hopefully wise counselor for folks that are, um, you know, getting out there, don't know what they're doing and want to know more about what could possibly happen to me.
1: I find that, um, you know, in the dating world that I've been a part of, mm-hmm. um, there seems to be a real confidence out there by a lot of people that you're not going to get infected with anything.
2: Uh-huh. Uh, and
1: that's always been something that's a little, I, it, it's anxiety ridden to me, right? Yeah. So using a condom is really important, right? Mm-hmm. But I've had female partners who have said, and have, have not been interested in, you know, any type of... You know, even like a a regularly casual arrangement that we have with them or even something that's, you know, more committed that they'd rather not use a condom. And that always, like I said, makes me feel anxious. And so I'm insisting on using a condom. I dated a woman once who said, you know, you don't need to use a condom because I have a UTI, right? Or or IUD. IUD. Excuse me. (laughs) UTI is completely different. IUD. (laughs) I always get those mixed up. An IUD, an interunerate device. Yes. Right? So she wasn't going to get pregnant and still right. that wasn't comforting to me and i wonder if you could speak to some of that confidence is it that the population is generally healthier and so right. stis aren't as likely to get transmitted or are people just really being foolish and we should continuously be using protection when we have intercourse
2: okay so there's so much to unpack there um yeah. in in all of the things that you've said so starting with number one right now at least prior to the pandemic the number of STIs reported to the CDC was the worst on record ever. And so we're certainly not in a period where there aren't STIs there, you know, there's certainly lots of STIs around. I will say though that, you know, when you hit a certain age, I you know, STIs, certain STIs like gonorrhea and chlamydia, for example, are much more common in folks under 25. So it's not that you get a pass, right? You know, when you when you enter your thirties, which is you know obviously the most common time for people to start splitting up with long term partners, is you know in the in the thirties. You are you know truthfully less likely to get some STIs. They're just much less common in certain sexual networks of folks that are older. So when you get into your thirties, you are uh, less likely to get gonorrhea and chlamydia. It's not impossible. It certainly happens, but you are less likely. And so for some people, if they're, you know, pregnancy is their top priority and number one concern, not wanting to have an unplanned pregnancy. And STIs is sort of secondary, right? And people don't realize that, you know, if you do get an STI, especially if you have an IUD, it has a little conduit to travel right up into the uterus. It can cause scarring and it can cause infertility if you want to have children later. So, you know, there's still something to take seriously, but it's true that as we do get older, um, you know, certain bacteria become less common, but things like herpes and HPV are still incredibly common. And, you know, the likelihood that you're going to catch an STI also depends on the age of the people that you're having sex with. So if you're in your thirties and your partners are in their twenties, you're actually taking on the risk of a much younger sexual network. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, if you're in your, if you're in your mid thirties and your partner's 50 and you know, Honestly, there are less STIs in, in you know, in those networks. Um, for people who have sex, you know, men who have sex with women, et cetera. When we get into men who have sex with men, um, really all bets are off and there's still actually pretty high rates of STIs, even for folks into their, you know, 40s and their 50s. So in terms of what the CDC recommends, if you are a man who has sex with men, they recommend actually screening, you know, every year and there's really no time limit. But for heterosexual folks, Everybody is supposed to get tested once a year and then, you know, up to the age of 25. And then beyond that, it really just depends on how often you're changing partners. But I tell people when they're getting back out there, especially after a divorce or a breakup, you know, certainly getting tested in between partners is the right thing to do because you don't know what you're bringing to your next relationship then.
1: Well, that I think is one of the more really important details of it. I've spoken with a lot of people as a divorce coach and then also just other people of going through divorce, right? Part of the reason they're afraid of getting back out there is because of their lack of knowledge and ignorance when it comes to STIs, right? What am I bringing into my life? And so knowing kind of the practicality of it and the circles that you're swimming in, right, and how often you should get tested at this point is actually really useful because it can... Bring on a lot more confidence, right? If you feel yeah. that the environment is far more safe, then you are more likely to go out there and meet people.
2: Yeah. And I think, oh, oh go ahead. Go ahead, Sheva. Oh, no, no, I'll, I'll go after you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that Um, I think if you routinize it, it also sort of takes a little bit of the stigma away from it, saying, like, hey, this is just something that I do. You know, sure. like I go to the dentist twice a year, I right. get my STI testing, you know, once a year. And if you make it part of your routine, I think it becomes sort of less intimidating because some people don't test because they don't want to actually know the answer. Do you know what I mean? If they actually have something, so they avoid it and they might be feeling stigmatized already. I mean, certainly if you're a religious person, you're not quote unquote supposed to get divorced anyway. Right. And so then if you're first of all divorced and then now maybe having an STI, it's just, you know, layers upon layers of sort of, you know, stigma. So I think, um, you know, everyone out there listening if you're getting back out there just making a commitment to say i'm going to take care of my sexual health and i'm just going to get tested once a year or get tested in between every partner and just you know not make it a big deal i think that may help people feel a little bit more comfortable with the idea
0: yeah Yeah. and i was going to say that in my experience both personal and Mm -hmm. professional i some um, opposite um experience than noam in that I'm finding people aren't worried or scared because of stigma. I'm finding they're ignorant that that if you grow up religious or if you are getting divorced in your 50s or 60s when there was a different conversation back yes. then, then you don't even realize what is okay or not okay to ask for, what you should be asking for. I mean, I grew up, I went to a religious high school. There was never a conversation mm-hmm. about about like why would there be right there was why they don't want to even put those thoughts in your head and so I was quite ignorant and not knowledgeable about how um diseases and infections were passed on. Yeah, is it can you oral you know vaginal mm-hmm. anal where what what how why like there right. was no conversation and then when you're in your thirties you feel like an idiot who are you supposed to turn to? <laughs> you're gonna go to local high school and ask them for advice like and so. <laughs> I just think that people kind of shove it under the carpet and don't yes. realize or don't even know where to, who to ask and turn to um or what the questions are to ask and i'm finding that and honestly i don't have the answers that's why i'm so excited to have you on because i think i need to even be more more educated in um in these
1: matters well, yeah me, and
0: i'll oh, go ahead
1: go let, ahead let no, me no. just say this uh, you know just in terms of a different perspective because sheva and i did grow up in two completely different jewish environments right mm-hmm. i think that is very fair to say and And I will say from my own perspective, right? I I went to a Jewish day school, Mm -hmm. right? Which means kindergarten through eighth grade, it's Judaism combined with social sciences and all that stuff. And so we had sex education in the sixth grade, right? And a lot of that was just very much the basics, right? How you make a baby, what's your body like, what's masturbation, all that stuff. And then as I got through high school, there were three separate occasions in which I heard from the same exact speaker. And I'm not surprised it was the same exact speaker. His name is Scott Mm Freed. He's very well known and respected. Um, internationally even, I think, but his primary thing is he, he was a, a gay man. He is a gay man, grew up in, the, in New York in the 1980s and contracted HIV. And so mm-hmm. he went around speaking to all the Jewish youth groups that I was a part of. Right, He spoke at my summer camp. He spoke at my Jewish youth group back in Connecticut. He spoke at the Jewish Hebrew High that I went to when I was mm-hmm. in public high school. So I was exposed to him on any number of different levels and established a great relationship with him and brought him in when I had the opportunity to be a speaker But that's what he spoke about, right? He spoke on a spiritual level in terms of, right, we are sacred, right? And so you need to protect yourself as a sacred person. You need to take that seriously as being a child of God in that way, right? And respect your body and respect the body of your partner as well and to treat Mm -hmm. yourself as sacred. And then there were other questions that we would ask, basically just very baseline questions of, can I get an STI if... Right? I ejaculate on someone's leg or something like that. Right,
0: right.
1: Answer is yes, right? (laughs) Sure, right. Um, (laughs) But of course, like they were always wrestling with how much room do we give the kids to find themselves sexually, right? We would go to conventions where you'd be without your parents and you'd just be with other kids. And the whole point is to build these relationships. Um, And so it would be like, can you allow boys in girls rooms and girls in boys rooms for a certain amount of time? And do we have open door policies and what happens at dances? And do you have enough staff to actually watch all the kids because some inevitably are gonna sneak off? And I was one of those kids who snuck off to make out. Right. right? I mean, that is kind of naturally part of it. So I, I can certainly appreciate Sheva's view. I think it is also fair to say that like different communities grow up in different ways, but nonetheless, That the education is really what's essential here
2: yeah i mean absolutely and i think you've brought up both of you guys have brought up important points that the frame we put around sexuality you know what i mean really differs depending on how we were raised and um you know some of us including myself you know my parents are korean immigrants and you know the extent of their sex education was don't have sex until you get married. That was pretty much it, right? And so anything else, any sort of sex outside the confines of marriage was not okay. And therefore if something happened to you, that's probably your fault, right? And so that's the frame I think that some young people have around sex. Um, and then it's certainly like, you know, if you're questioning and you're at, you know attracted to folks of the same sex, then that's a, that's another layer. So I think part of what our job is, is, you know, it is a fine balance, letting kids explore, you know, their sexuality, because they are sexual beings, we're all sexual beings, you know what I mean? And we have to normalize some sort of exploration of that. And giving kids age appropriate information, I think is absolutely crucial. I'm doing that with my own children. Um, And, you know, people are afraid as parents, if we do that, this is a license for them to go out and have tons of sex, you know, and something bad's going to happen. And the truth is, is that, actually giving them the tools and giving them the language and leaving the door open, I think is actually better in terms of kids' sexuality. They're less likely to have an unplanned pregnancy. They're less likely to get an STI. But I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned with Scott Freed's sort of messaging, you know, is really important um, in terms of protecting yourself, protecting your partner. But one thing I wanted to mention is that You know, some STIs can happen even if people who are having vaginal sex use and anal sex use condoms 100% of the time because things like the viruses like HPV and herpes can actually be around the area that a condom can't cover. So if that happens, I don't want people to say, well, I failed. You know what I mean? Or I'm being punished or something like that. I mean, the, the truth is, is that there is only so much we can do. We can limit the number of partners, we can use condoms and STI might happen anyway. And it is not a punishment. It's just, it's something that comes along with being a sexual person. It could happen to you. And so I just want people to understand that, especially because your audience is, you know, getting out there after, you know, sometimes being in a, yeah, sometimes being in a committed relationship and maybe not having had sexual experiences if they grew up religious, you know, before they came to their marriage.
0: So jumping in, in your experience, what would you say are the biggest misconceptions that people have about STIs?
2: Um, I think some of my patients, you know, like they compare themselves to their friends, for example, and they say, wait, how am I getting an STI when my friend who's had sex with, you know, twice as many people as I have is not getting anything. And so I think this misconception is getting an STI is related to the number of people you sleep with. Now, that is not completely Mm. true because, as I mentioned before, it really depends on the type of sexual network that you happen to be in. Because... If you're in a network where people are switching partners a lot, then, you know, any sex act in that network is going to be higher risk than if you're, you know, just having sex with someone who hasn't had sex with anybody else for six months. You know what I mean? The chance of them bringing something to the relationship is lower, but if you have a community where people are swapping partners frequently, or if an STI enters that network, it's really easy to spread it around if people are swapping partners. so. It really does has less to do with the absolute number of partners you sleep with, and it actually has more to do with you know, how old are your partners, who else right. are they sleeping with, is drug use involved, because those networks tend to be sort of higher risk. So, um, you know, the absolute, like asking people how many people you've slept with as a gauge, you know <laughs> what I mean, of whether or not they may or may not have an STI is not a good way to go. I think that's the most common misconception.
1: That also sounds like it's rooted in kind of this puritanical belief of... Yeah you know, the more people you have sex with, the more slutty you are. And there's like a shame and a value judgment, you know, laden on that. Um, And that seems to be a particular problem in and of itself, because we're also coming to an era, I think, in terms of the conversations that I've found, where there's far less shame talked about, right, in sex positive circles, right, that in and of itself is an expression, right, sex positivity, yes, right, and wanting to relay that to my own children. I have a 11-year-old son who has now asked me several questions, right? Mm -hmm. He's wanted to know what an uncircumcised penis looks like Uh just earlier in the week, right? I I have them. This is my swing with them. Uh, And my son came to me and he says, what's a condom like? Right. And how do you put a condom on? Uh, uh, and so we went, we grabbed a banana, right? Yep. And I took out a condom that I had and we practiced putting it on and he wasn't exactly sure, but I was like, that's what it's like. And he says, well, can I put it on myself? And I was like, I don't think you're really ready for that just yet because it's, <laughs> right, it's exactly. like, not the right size, right? That's right. what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but like I, I encouraged him, right? And And it's fascinating how he's already getting messages and I don't know necessarily where they're from, but one of the conversations we've had Right. He, and I apologize. I can't remember all the specific details, but what did stand out is that we were talking about sex and he also labeled the people having sex as pervs. Right. right. And so, you know, I was trying to explain to him that there's nothing perverted about sex that a, it's perfectly natural for if you want to at the very baseline, express your love to someone. Right. Right. But then also procreate and have children. Right. That's an essential element of it. Right. And that, depending on what you are interested in, and even not depending on that, there's nothing perverted about it, but that you have proclivities and that you have interests, and those are labeled as kinks, right? But nonetheless, right, it's normal, right? And there is nothing perverted.
2: Yeah, and I think that's important. And I just am smiling because my son as well, you know what I mean, knows how to put a condom on a banana, but I'm just imagining at least my parents' generation, I'm not sure about yours, Noam, and and, and Sheva, I'm imagining like Love our parents. Shevas. I mean, can you imagine? You know what I mean? Uh, that would just never have happened in a my, million years. I it know. just would absolutely not be okay.
1: Here are two conversations. My parents are loving people, and I want to know Sheva's parents' perspective on this as well. Um, maybe we should have Judy in this conversation too. Um, maybe
0: we shouldn't (laughs) maybe we should not um
1: but i remember going to um a dance going to like a a junior prom or something like that with friends i had met in philadelphia and my father said something to me like just remember if you think about doing anything with your body this weekend think about me cutting off that part of your body oh my god and and he was joking around he was trying to be funny right the whole point was like you need to be careful um because i just know my dad i know that he didn't mean that literally but I also remember specifically one, after, one evening watching 90210, just sitting on the couch in my house, right. watching 90210, my mother walking into the room with a cup of coffee in one hand and a pack of condoms in the other. And she threw them at me and she said, practice. Wow. Right. Um, and just a very kind of bold way of like, here are the tools, right? Here's the supplies. And I want you to use them if you're using them.
2: Right. Well, I think that is certainly not the upbringing that I had, and I'm just imagining that for religious folks, that's not the type of upbringing and sexual education that they get from their parents. So I think what's interesting is that, you know, if you're a person who's getting divorced and your whole frame around sexuality was that sex is for procreation and not really for pleasure, then when you're like, if you're getting out there again in your 50s and you're probably, you know, you're obviously not going to be using sex to get pregnant you know, then you're sort of changing your frame of mind of like, well, sex is for pleasure. And then you have to contend with the fact that there's this whole other set of issues that you never became educated on. And now you have to deal with, you know, like such as STIs. So I think it's probably really daunting for someone getting out there again for the first time, you know, after splitting up with their partner, if they've never had any background in this.
0: It reminds me of a joke. I'm pretty sure my father told me, about a very, very, very religious couple, young couple, probably Mm -hmm. 19 year olds who get married. And then the wedding's over and they go to the room and they have no idea what to do. Right, exactly. And so they're standing on opposite sides of the bed and they don't know what to do. And so the boy calls his mom and says, what do I do? And the mom says, take off your clothes. And then the girl gets really scared and calls her mom and she goes, he's taking off his clothes. What do I do? The mom (laughs) says, take off your clothes. And the boy is like, onto his mom, she's taking off her clothes, what do I do now? So to the mom says, take your most important part of your body and put it in the place where she goes to the bathroom. Oh. And right. then <laughs> she calls his, her mom and she's like, he's dunking his head in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's my that background,
0: payoff. right? That's your
2: background, and and you know you bring up such an important point because Sheva, I've um, had patients who were religious who initially thought, you know, no no one told them anything. So and I'm not talking about necessarily Orthodox Jews, but folks of other religions where so so sometimes their partner was putting the penis inside, you know, the anus instead, the wrong hole. Or some folks have actually had the penis go inside the urethra, which, you know, is a tiny, tiny opening not meant to accommodate a penis. So people are wondering why is sex so painful? Why is sex so unpleasant? Wrong. Hole. So that even, I mean, we're talking basic level of, you know, misinformation or lack of knowledge around sex and sexuality. Um, But one thing I want to mention to your point, Sheva, was you know, how do you get good information? I mean, can I just recommend, I think the American Sexual Health Association has great sex positive and scientifically accurate information. And then there are some, you know, under the hashtag sex ed um, or sex positivity, there are lots of creators on Instagram um, and lots of actually medical professionals as well, and um, sex therapists, and who put out good, you know, information that I feel like is evidence based as well. It's hard. Social media is hard because you can't necessarily filter. You don't know what's, you know, correct and, and you know, and what is misinformation. But I, I will say the American Sexual Health Association has great information on STIs, and they also actually talk about STIs in um, in folks who are, you know, older, like beyond the, you know, twenty five year old. Age range. Um, so, you know, they're just a, acknowledging that sex happens in, in that age group and sort of, you know, what are the issues that you need to think about.
0: Thank you. And hopefully we'll put a link to that. Um, yeah, sure. Podcast. Absolutely. But I know that one question, specifics that I get asked a lot that there seems to be misconception around is can you get diseases from oral sex? Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> so- Which ones and how to prevent for that? So, you, it's, if you're not using you know can you use a condom with oral sex and right um, there seems to be some a lot of confusion about that i am so glad you asked sex
1: too if you put something in your ears right (laughs) let's say that
0: for a kink episode no i'm just saying wrong holes
1: let's (laughs) wrong hole exactly (laughs)
0: wrong hole
2: i'm so glad you asked that question because there is this misconception that oral sex is safer sex and it is for HIV but not for anything else you know really um you can get gonorrhea and chlamydia in your throat you can get um you can pass herpes very easily through oral sex uh hpv can also be transmitted through oral sex and syphilis so really you know oral sex is i want people you know people think about it as like oh that doesn't count or it's you know i'm not i'm not likely to get anything and that's just simply not true so it, you certainly can get stis through oral sex and Sure. I mean, you know, there are dental dams, which are sort of squares of latex or plastic that you can use to cover the vulva. There's also condoms. I mean, I don't push very hard on those because I feel like it would help me lose it. It it loses legitimacy with my patients because they laugh Mm -hmm. at me and they're like, come on, Dr. Park, like no one, no one uses condoms for oral sex. And I, you know, and I have to say in my experience with patients um, and in national surveys, you know, CDC actually did a national survey of american adults and 6% of them said that they used condoms um, you know for um, oral sex when someone's performing oral sex right. on a penis. So it's very uncommon, but it help, you know, it certainly could help. So if somebody is okay, you know, and I mean if the partner's okay, you know, with condoms during oral sex, it absolutely will help. But, you know, I'm just saying a lot of people don't use them. So I just wanted to be realistic there about, you know, the chances of people actually using condoms for oral sex.
0: So when you do move towards being um, in a committed relationship or even um, ask your partner to show you, have you been tested, right? Sure. What are you looking for? Do you want to see the tests results? What are you looking for? It's like, people know that they should ask, but then we don't really ask. And then once like, you know, it's that there's also Sigma around that of asking is so unromantic, especially looking, show me your tests, <laughs> way to kill a vibe, right? Yeah, so exactly. what are you looking for when, when you look at someone's test results?
2: Well, typically when people are getting tested, they're mostly getting tested for bacterial STIs. So they're mostly sure. getting tested for gonorrhea and chlamydia and syphilis. And then they're also getting tested for HIV. So those are sort of the basic four that somebody would probably sort of show you. And if they, or if someone says, oh, I got tested, you know, that's probably the full panel of what they received. There is not, you know, for uh, women, you know, there's also testing for HPV that's happening to look for, you know, signs of cervical precancer. but there's no HPV test for men that's FDA approved. So no man is going to be getting that test. Um, and then- there are tests for herpes, but they're not recommended for folks who are not having any symptoms. There's like a really good PCR test, really similar to COVID test. So if you have something going on, on your genitals, like a lesion, you know, you can get swabbed and it'll tell you whether or not you have herpes type one or type two. And then there are blood tests, but there's lots of issues and problems with them. So with false positive results. So they're really only used in certain circumstances. Like if someone has a history of symptoms or if they're in a partnership and one person knows they have herpes and the other person doesn't know if they have it or not, it's a good way to look at, you know, whether or not both people already have been exposed. But when you, when someone asks you, did you get tested? And they say yes, typically what they mean would be gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, and HIV. Mm-hmm. And um some folks are actually working on different apps, you know what I mean, or add-ons that might be going on to a dating profile so that you would be able to. Share your results before you actually, you know, met up and um, that's such a good it's, idea.
0: It's awkward, right? It is awkward. But I think that's a great idea. Just get it out of the way. If yes. If- you know, dating apps now have, have you been vaccinated on? So exactly. why don't we have What's this sexual difference. stuff as well? Right. Yeah, I, I would love, that's on my wish list. You
2: know what I mean? When I become queen of the world is I want to just, you know, I want people to be able to disclose more easily. I want, and I also want everyone to be able to, you know, get testing at home and order it whenever they want to. Those are the things on my wish list. Um, But that's yeah, true. it'd be the, so great.
1: In-home sex tests are actually, or STI tests are very expensive.
2: Yes, extremely. Right,
1: looking at them over at CVS or whatnot and wanting to save the time between going to the doctor yeah. and doing all that. I mean, they're, they're, they're quite expensive. And so yes. having them regularly available could save people not only a lot of time, but a lot of heartache and mental anguish as well. And I would think, right, I, I hear what Sheva's saying in terms of it, you know, and you're saying too, Ina, in terms of it, you know, it makes it awkward, it takes the romance out of it. Mm-hmm. And yet we're also at this stage where consent is being really enforced. Yeah. Right. Where, you know, it's important to say before you engage in sex, you know, with people, do I have your consent in that way? And I would think that naturally speaking, and and it just hasn't reached that level of discourse and comfortability yet, but to say, not only do I have your consent, but I also know what I'm getting involved in here. Right. Right. And as such, I've only had one partner who's disclosed to me that she had herpes. Yeah. Right. And that did change things for us because that wasn't anything that I wanted to really get engaged in. I was ignorant at the time about herpes and didn't really know about it. And I'm glad that you brought it up. Right. Um, and it seems like it's far more common out there than people know. And that's yeah. part of the reason why there isn't testing going on is because it is so common and that mm-hmm. if you're not showing any signs and there's no point in really going through the mental anguish of having a false positive or anything like right, that.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: Um, but I would think going along with what both you're saying, that the idea of What's your health like in this way? Have you been checked? Would rise to the same level of importance as not only vaccinated in terms of what we're talking about with COVID, but also do I have your consent in this action?
2: Yeah. And um, and so two things that you brought up that I wanted to talk about. Um, first with Sheva and like how awkward the conversation is. So I think one way, this is not a way around it necessarily, but instead of, you know, like asking a partner, hey, what's your stat, what's your STI status, like offering yours first, you know, mm. to say you know, just so you know, like I just got tested and here are my, you know, here are my results or I just got tested and I'm negative for, you know, for STIs and HIV. How about you? You know what I mean? As opposed to just asking someone, what's your status, like offering yours first and then hopefully, you know, getting a response back in return, I, you know, may make it less awkward. But one of the things that you all were talking about is how expensive it is to actually get testing. Um, There are a lot of, in the pandemic, lots of online providers popped up and it can cost, you know, almost $300 to get an STI panel and HIV. And so in the state of California, which I hope will happen in other parts of the country, there was just a Senate bill passed and signed into law that now health insurers have to pay for um, home-based STI testing, mm. which, you know, I they have to work out the kinks. Obviously, the devil's always in the details. But I, I hope that that actually is a trend that happens throughout the country where more providers, you know, more, sorry, more payers, insurance payers are willing to, you know, pay for STI testing because it is awkward. It is hard to go in to a provider, you know, and ask for an STI test and worry if you're going to be judged. Right. So I would love for people to be able to get access to in-home testing and get it paid for by their insurance
0: if they have insurance. Here's another question that I've been asked. Yeah. If you have sex once, let's say you're caught in the moment and you didn't ask and no protection. Yep. I've heard, Oh, forget it. It's, You know, whatever. I've been exposed already. So now we don't have to have protected sex because it's irrelevant. Uh-huh. True or not true. I mean, so the thing is, is that
2: just because you had sex with somebody once without a condom, there's no guarantee that you would catch every single bug that they happen to have right in either direction. So Just because you took the gloves off once doesn't mean that, like, they should remain off for the remainder of the relationship. I mean, I do have to say, if both people are like, you know, we prefer to have sex without condoms, then I think it makes sense for people to get tested, right? And then say, okay, we both know our status, we're making a decision about having sex without condoms. But if if it happened once, you know what I mean? There's no reason why you can't go back and add a condom back in for future sex acts. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, forget it. We, you know what I mean? We we, right. we screwed it up and there's no way, there's no turning back. It doesn't work that way. Cause you might not have caught anything. It's possible to have condomless sex and not catch anything. It's possible.
0: How long after sex would one, let's say you have unprotected sex, you yes. get nervous, you wanna go get tested. What's the time frame um, until right. that would show up in a test?
2: So it depends because every STI has a slightly different incubation time. So if um, you know if you're looking for bacteria, then you can test as soon, like the you know gonorrhea, chlamydia. There's also a bacteria called mycoplasma. Um, you can actually t- test as soon as two weeks after you you know you had sex. If you're looking for something like syphilis, it actually can incubate from nine to ninety days before it shows up. So actually, you know, getting tested three months later for syphilis would be a good idea. So I think in a general rule of thumb is that if you're switching partners frequently, getting tested every three months is a good idea that way you catch anything you know sort of early. And then if if you had sex with someone and then they tell you after the fact, oh by the way, you know I have herpes, they should have told you know they should have obviously told you before, but if you want to find out, well, did I actually become positive from this, you need to wait about 12 weeks. So again, you know, about three months. So I think for certain viruses and bacteria like syphilis and herpes, you really should wait three months. But um, if it's something like gonorrhea, chlamydia, you can test as soon as two weeks after the act.
1: And again, a lot of this is also symptom based, right? I mean, the times that I've gone for SDI checks, right, I've always been asked, have you seen anything, right? Have you developed any symptoms as a result of it? Yeah, and if you think, have a
2: symptom, if something is, you know, different or unusual, then you go in immediately. You know what right, I mean? Because
1: right.
2: something like gonorrhea can actually show up even two days after you have sex. So that's right. how short the incubation period can be. But because a lot of STIs don't have any symptoms, if you're just wondering, well, how long should I wait after, you know, that that person I hooked up with, you know, if you, if you have no symptoms at all, then you should wait at least two weeks before you go in to get checked for anything.
1: Is it also possible that the peop- that things that people use, such as lubes or ointments or whatever it is, can also mimic certain symptoms and that can get confusing?
2: Yeah, I think the issue is is that, um, you know, depending on the lube or product that you're using, if people, like I'm just gonna say for folks that have a vagina, if it irritates your vagina and then you suddenly you know have discharge or itching or irritation, you might think that's an STI, but actually that's just a reaction, you know what I mean, to a product that you're using. And so this is the whole process of elimination we have to go through. Right? What can I use? What can, you know, what is okay for my body? What doesn't my body like? And um, it's, it's a process, right? To figure out what works for you.
1: I like that idea of process of it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and that's, but, you know, and that's the thing is, I think, especially if you got married very young, and you didn't do any of this exploring in your early 20s, then when you're trying to figure this out in your 30s or 40s, you know it's uh, and your and your body like especially if you're you know if you're a, a female and your body is going through all these hormonal changes as well, right through perimenopause or whatever, you're gonna go through the process and then it might change, you know what I mean? Because your body your body is changing a lot hormonally, which is really different than it is for men.
0: Yeah. Have you gotten any other questions like those that seem to come up a lot where just people make assumptions, don't have the knowledge that are pretty popular questions. Yeah, any other that I'm missing?
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I what well, I mean, I think um it's not a question so much as when someone comes to me and they get diagnosed with an STI, um, they immediately want to blame their last, you know, the, the the partner that they're with right now. And I need to explain to them, depending on the STI, that it may have actually come from a prior relationship. So they're misdirecting their anger, you know what I mean, at a certain person when I, you know, we can't actually prove that it was this person that actually, you know, passed on the STI. I think there's a lot of assumptions about infidelity that can happen if an STI shows up, but some STIs um, and even herpes, for example, can show up and actually the person had the virus for years and it just showed up now. So, you know, blaming the current partner is actually um, not the way to go, um, but it's, client. yeah. And I just think this detective work that people wanna do of figuring out who did this to me, you know, I think is misguided because many times you can't yeah. figure it out.
1: I'm curious, Ina, um, you know, as you imagine yourself as queen of the world thinking with <laughs> that. Well, thinking from that perspective, the ten thousand foot perspective, as well yeah. as with your mother hat on, and as well as your your doctor's hat on, your medical mm-hmm. professionals hat on, what do you imagine is the greatest piece of advice that you could give to someone, you know, who may not know anything about this, completely blank slate, going out there into the world, right? What is the message, you know, that you would give to them? Stand, as we say in our tradition, standing on one foot. Right, right. Um, what, what's that message that you would give to someone? What's the greatest piece of wisdom?
2: You know, um I think for someone who's getting back out there after maybe not having had a partner in a very long time, um, I think an accept I think an acceptance of the fact that an STI might happen to them and that it's not a punishment for bad behavior and it's you know, um, and that the things they can do to protect themselves, there are three things if they're having vaginal sex or anal sex they can use a condom, they can get tested and they can limit the number of partners. And those are the three things that they can do. Beyond that, an STI can happen and you know really it's it's something that I want to people people to accept as it's the cost of doing business in the sexual marketplace. It's, you know, just accept it. And also don't shame yourself and don't shame other people. Um then the other final piece of advice, this does not shield you from an STI, but have sex with nice people, have sex with people that you like. You know, some people go out there, you know, you guys know this, after a breakup, some people just go nuts, right? And they have, they you know, they have sex and they're like, I didn't even like that person. I just really wanted to get laid. When an STI enters the picture after that, you know, I don't remember the person's name or I was so intoxicated. I have no idea what happened. If an STI enters the picture there, I've seen lots of patients in that situation. There's a lot of regret, right? You know what I mean? And so you can't shield yourself from STIs,
0: but you can shield yourself from regret about your sex life, you know? And to tack on to that, and it's a little bit more about boundaries than about STIs, but definitely I know in my own personal experience is that we don't it's it's lumped together in these conversations that secular um, children get more access to that yep. you can say no at any time yes. and yeah you know, there there's an understanding like that you tease you're kind of responsible to go through with with the tease and yeah. that's so not true in terms of you can you can stop at any point there's no such thing as a tease that you are now responsible to follow yes. through with Right. And I think a lot of people post-divorce get stuck there where they want to have fun, they want to go out, they want to feel good. And then they're like, oh, crap, I don't really want to go through with it, but I guess I have to because I'm here now. That's right. Oh, my, my clothes are off.
2: Oh no, that means I have to follow through. And that's not true. I'm so glad you brought that up. And um, Or I let this person buy me a meal and so now I have to do something with them. I mean, it, it's, not, it's just not true. But I, I certainly think, especially when you get to the point where the clothes are off, where you feel obligated to follow through with something and you certainly are not obligated.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your book. You wrote a book. I just want to hear what it's about. Right. Cause I was going to ask you to recommend a book. And then I remembered you wrote a book. So <laughs> yeah, tell paper, us about your my, book.
2: My paperback actually just came out three days ago. So Strange and yeah. you know, came out of, all of the stories that I have been collecting sort of about my patients, about my own journey, you know, into, into doing this work. um, And also sort of wanting to use stories to highlight the latest science that's going on in my field of STIs and HIV prevention. So I, you know, wanted to use uh, the book that would weave kind of history, humor and stories together um, to highlight, you know, the, the latest developments in my field. So I put this book out and, Somebody who's not related to me decided that it would be a good idea to publish it. So um, the hardcover came out last year and then the um, paperback just came out. So, yeah, I mean, if people want to read more about STIs and and if they love history and they love storytelling, hopefully they would like the book. Available on Amazon? Available everywhere. Yeah, it's available, you know, at bookshop.org if you want to support local booksellers and Barnes and Noble, Amazon. It's, you know, everywhere where books are sold. Um, but I will say as well, that there are some personal stories about myself and my children and, you know, how I got to doing this work, including, um, you know, doing a live, uh, pelvic exam because our pelvic model, um, wow. period. So I had to step in to do that and dressing up as a condom and all of those, all of those adventures that I had,
0: uh, to get you to are somebody. committed.
1: That is bravery, <laughs> that is Right. There. Sure. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow. Okay. Well, uh,
0: thank you so much for all of that. Wow.
1: So um, uh, Ina, is there mm-hmm. any other way that people can get in touch with you? Should they have other questions? Um, you know, do you want to share your website um, or Instagram contact information or whatever it would take for people to reach out to you and, you know, learn something important that could really be not only save their life, but be helpful in their own. Yeah. Lives.
2: I mean, I would invite anyone, you know, listening to the podcast to connect with me on Instagram. My um, Instagram handle is Ina Park MD, So it's I-N-A-P-A-R-K-M-D. And there I post videos and informational carousels about all the different STIs and all the different ways that you can get infected, when you should get tested, treatments, all of that stuff is there. And I fact check everything um, that I post. I'm also on Twitter with the same handle, Ina Park MD. Um, so yes, yeah, stay in touch, please.
1: And we will. And uh, if you want to get in touch with Ina through the Jewish Divorce Project, friends, don't uh, be afraid to reach out to us on social media and Instagram or Facebook at the Jewish Divorce Project. Uh, and you can also certainly check us out at the jewishdivorceproject.com and reach out to us with your questions. If you're a little too uh, embarrassed um, or want to maintain some confidentiality in reaching out to Ina, we can also reach out to her through us. If you want to email us at the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com.
0: And just to add to that, what I have found is that a question that you have is very often a question that other people have. So it's very valuable to share what your questions are. Then we can have them answered publicly and, you know, kill two, three, five, 10, 20 birds with one stone, just getting the information out there. So send us your questions. They're they're really valuable to share with everybody. Yes. Amen to that.
1: Ina, thank you so much. You've been an amazing guest, chock full of wisdom and practical tips for everyone. Thank you so, so, so much.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
1: Have a great day. Bye, everyone. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Bye. Mm -hmm.